Welcome to Adding Fuel to the Hire, a podcast for hiring managers and job seekers across all types of dealerships. With over 20 years collective recruitment experience, Rowan, Tony and Phil draw upon their knowledge to help you navigate through the recruitment and job hunt process. For more information, head to our website, addingfueltothehire.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. I'm Tony Flynn and today I have Phil with me. How are you, Phil? Good. How are you going? Not too bad. So today's topic's probably going to be a long one. It covers off on a, a couple of different sub-issues that we've spoken about before, but I think this is how it's going to encompass all of it all together in the one episode. It's finding the right candidate. Yeah. So you can imagine there's a, a lot of different things we need to talk about, and we're definitely not going to cover it all by any means today, but um, hopefully we're going to go through the important stuff. And and I suppose what we've found in our time in recruitment as being the uh, the the pillars of success in this area, um, whether or not you can you know, find the right candidate and why it's important. So first and foremost, for anyone listening, finding the right candidate is just so important for the culture of your business. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard the saying for many years, and it's so true. I've seen it firsthand. Where a bad cultural fit is like a cancer for your business; um, it, it can just eat away over time. And um, I suppose corrupt good employees in a way, and, and turn good employees into bad ones. So, you, getting that right person is just pivotal with with every single hire that you do. Um, but yeah, it's just culturally, it's so important. Yeah, you got to think about how they're going to actually fit in the team once they start. You know, you want to get um, a candidate who's going to complement the rest of the team, who's going to be on the same wavelength. At the end of the day, they're going to have to work together day in, day out for the majority of the day. You know, a lot of the time, you know, I've said it before, you probably spend more time at work than you do with your family. Mm. So um, work often becomes like a little family. So you've got to make sure everyone, you know, you don't need everyone to be best friends, um, but you want everyone to get along and mm. be able to work together really well. Um, the other thing I think you should probably think about is what does it tell your team uh, when you're hiring someone? Um, you know, a specific hire can point the team into a direction of, oh, okay, so this is where they want to go with this. Yeah. Or do I even want to be a part of that? You know, that's that's probably not really what I was looking for, what I was thinking mm. we're going to be doing. So um, think about how it's going to impact them and what it tells the team as well. Particularly in leadership positions, that's something you nearly really be, need to be really conscious of. Um, you know, that leader that you bring in, particularly if they have a – a specific background or history, it can show or dictate a lot of what's going to come um, to their subordinates or the, the other members of the team. So, yeah, it, it does send a very clear message to people, this is what we're, we're aiming to do, this is where we want to go. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really important and often overlooked. And I think with cultural fit, it's important to recognise that doesn't mean just hiring 10 people with the exact same opinions, the exact same interests in the hope they all get along. Mm. It's, uh, I suppose, understanding what you need culturally at that time and yeah. filling that gap. Yeah. Um, you might need someone completely different to the eight members already in your team um, because they're going to have a different way of thinking. Yeah. But that's still a cultural fit yeah. because it's fitting that's the right. cultural need at the time. So um, I think historically a lot of companies just focused on, well, we just want, you know, 10 fills. Phil's worked good for us. We want 10 of him. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case because yeah. people will butt heads and, that's right, yeah. And if you've got 10 of the same, you're just going to come up with the same solution every single time to yeah. a problem. You want something, you, know, you want a good mix in there. Um, it's 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 tricky, you know. I mean, we love talking about, oh, you got to get culture right. Um, 
But it's not that easy to do. No. Because you've got to really think about what have I got? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Who do they work best with? And how can I find someone who will complement complement their weaknesses? Essentially? Yeah, exactly. It's by far the hardest part yeah. of everything. And, yeah. and if it was easy, we probably wouldn't be in business because yeah. people wouldn't have yeah. turnover. And that kind of segues us into our next point really well is the, the hidden costs of getting this wrong. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's the obvious costs that everyone's well aware of when they recruit. They go, oh, you know, it's cost us X amount because of our – um, recruitment fees that we outsourced or our advertising costs yep. or our labor costs for our yep. internal recruiters to do it. Um, they're the obvious ones, but there's a lot of hidden costs as well, training um, the fact that you're not going to get the best out of that employee for potentially 6, 12, 18 months, depending on the type of role. So your output for them yep. or your return for them is not going to be as good. So th- there's so many hidden costs yeah. to yeah. getting this wrong. Yeah. That's think done. about yeah. think about the time the hiring manager spends on interviewing this person, you know, the obvious recruiting bit to offering them the job, but also the time they're going to have to spend training them mm. in the first few weeks. Um, you know, depending on the role, there's going to be a certain um, return on investment that you're going to be looking at. You know, you want to you want to say, you know, okay, this person's going to need to work this and this and this, and need to hit these and these mm. and these numbers before their you know their salary is you know. For us, is a good investment for us. Yeah. We're getting more money out of them than we're putting into them, sort of, so to speak. And if you choose the wrong person, they might never hit that. <laughs> and then it's four or five months have gone by, and you go, "All right, look, sorry." You, know, you get to that six month, the end of that six month probation, you say, "Look, not going to work out." Sorry, you've just spent six months of your hiring manager's time, um, so the direct line manager, so to yeah. speak, uh, your team's time, because a lot of the time the team helps them, you know, integrate to the day-to-day as well. You know, your manager will say, all right, look, this is what we want you to do. These are the things you should probably be doing on a day-to-day basis. And then the team will be like, okay, Mm -hmm. on the ground, this is what it actually looks like. Um, So you've got that, as you said, all the advertising costs and that sort of thing. And you've just wasted six months, um, you know, spending time on a candidate that wasn't going to be a good fit. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot to, to take in and think about. And we're not saying it's easy by any means. It's it's not easy. And you're going (laughs) to, no matter what you do, no matter how great your process is you're still going to have people slip through the cracks but understanding these points will minimize those i suppose and you know if you can minimize at least one then you've saved yourself a lot of time and money yeah um so the first step really to uh to find the right candidate is understanding the market rates it's where everything starts if you're advertising a role and you don't know what the market rates are and where you sit in that then you're already fighting a losing battle yeah um purely and simply because you don't know the, what you need to pay to get a high caliber candidate. You don't know, well, if we are under market rates and there's just nothing we can do about it, um, well, we need to be wary, wary of that and, you know, manage the types of people that are going to come through accordingly. Um, yeah, it, it does change your psyche throughout the recruitment process. So um, uh, the, the first thing is obviously the, the saying, uh, pay peanuts, get monkeys. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you can, you need to understand the market rates so that you're paying above them yep. um, to entice the good employees, particularly from your competitors, to that's jump right. ship and come over. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And look, at it, it. that doesn't mean you have to pay 20, 30, 40 grand more than everyone else. No. It just means you need to be within that ballpark figure of what everyone else is, is offering and then put your own twist on the role in terms of these are the sort of incentives we can offer you. Exactly. You know, this is maybe you've got a great brand you, you, you're working with or – um, you know, you've got great salary sacrifice options or, or there's a vehicle involved or something like that. Um, so there's lots of different things there that you can do 
even if you have an, an average salary. Yeah, you know? exactly. Think outside the box. How yeah. can we – and that goes towards everything throughout recruitment. Every step you do, you need to think, well, how can we make this as appealing as possible to the largest number of people that we want to target? Yeah. Um, and, and if you have that in the back of your mind, then you'll go well. If you think, you know, how people thought 10, 20 years ago that you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea, we don't need them, they need us, yeah. well, that's when you're going to struggle a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, when you're finding the right candidate. But yeah. I suppose it's easy for us because we're in in it, I suppose, all the time, yeah. understanding market <laughs> rates. But yeah. where do you start if you're a company and you, you don't understand yeah. market yeah. rates, you don't know where you stand with it all? Yeah, it's tough, um, especially if you just, you know, you can't really go to a competitor and go across the road and go, hey, <laughs> just wanted to know how much, just, you know, how much are you guys paying your, your staff? Like yep. you can't do that. So. Um, the first thing you can do is obviously research on the internet. A lot of job boards will obviously show salaries. Um, the other thing you can do is you can click on the specific job you're trying to research and some of the job boards will have an average range on yep. the site there. Um, the other thing you can do is contact recruiters. So um, if there is a specialist recruiter in the industry, contact them. Um, they'll be happy to – they generally won't charge. They, they'll be happy to just, you know, be, be, be your sounding board for the market yep. and just give you an idea of, you know, this is generally what you're seeing in regional areas. This is what you're seeing in metro areas. You know, the, these are the roles we've generally worked on and this is sort of the range. Yep. Um, if you can't find someone like that, contact a few recruitment agencies and just get a few, you know, ballpark figures. Yeah. Um, be careful, obviously. You want to do you know, a few to get a good idea. Um, sometimes people tend to push those up a little bit when you're not working, particularly when you're not working with a specialist, when yeah. you're working with like a generalist recruiter. They tend to say, oh, yeah, it's 10 or 15 grand more than what they've actually had. Yeah, I would go as far to say if you can't get a specialist, I wouldn't even try to do it because <laughs> they will just pull numbers out of, yeah. out of somewhere. Yeah. Um, the numbers definitely get pushed up. Yeah, because um, we've done it plenty of times for clients in the past where we'll actually just export the data from our placements for that type of position or yep. those locations, and we can put a report together in all of 30 seconds yep. um, with actual working numbers. So um, most recruiters that are specialised will be happy to do that for free. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't take long. It's very it's easy It's not to hard. Do. And if they tell you it's hard, then they don't want to tell you. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. It, it is not hard at all. Um, and then the other thing that a lot of people often, uh, I suppose, don't think about because it is tough, it's when someone resigns yeah. um, at your company, it's so easy to put the walls up and just uh, almost be, I suppose, negative towards them, just human nature. They're leaving you. You feel, you know, like yeah. they've left you or cheated on kind of thing. Um, but have a transparent conversation with them and you might not get all the information you want, but if you have that relationship with your staff, you can sit down and say, you know, Phil, we're really sorry to let you go and we understand there's nothing we can do, but just to help us in the future and help, you know, your ex-colleagues or now ex-colleagues, um, you know, do you mind us asking what are they offered you? Um, you know, how much are you going to be on compared to what yeah. you are now? Yeah. You know, what were the factors that led you to wanting to yeah, leave? That's right. Um, just exit interviews are so important because they can give you that sense of, well, this is what we've done wrong. It sucks to hear. Yeah. Um, it, it is by far the worst yeah. and hardest thing to do to have an employee. And it's not always going to be good information because you can get people that will just want to complain. Yeah. Um, so it's picking the right information. But starting with objective information about salaries and those sorts of things is a really good and easy way to get Yeah important information out of people. That's right. And plus, at that point, they've obviously resigned, they've left. So you're probably going to get a good amount of honesty out of them. Yeah, exactly. Might not lose. Get, yeah, you, know, you might not get out of current employees because they don't want to offend you or they don't want to you know, 
rock the boat. Yeah, they don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to say something bad to your employer sometimes. So um, it's a good opportunity to just get some honest feedback and tell them, look, you know, this has absolutely no bearing on how we remember you are, you know, how we talk about you in the future. We honestly just want to know. Yeah. What were the factors that led you to leaving and how can we do better to stop it from happening the next time around for your now ex-employees? Yeah, exactly right. Chances yeah. are, whatever your issues were, whatever yeah. your complaints were, they're probably this, they're probably complaints from other employees as well. Exactly. So. Yep. Then it's never just one person. No. <laughs> yeah. um, the next point, and this could probably be an episode all on its own. It, it's, uh, yeah, it has the potential to go down a rabbit hole here. Um, but it's the attitude versus aptitude debate. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see it all the time. We might interview a candidate that just doesn't fit the bill perfectly, but they just have the best attitude. It's something yeah. innate about them, in t- completely intangible. It's a yeah. gut feel. You just know. Yeah, it's that human connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Traditionally, it happens a lot with service advisors, salespeople. Yeah. The, the, the human faces of your business is probably where we see it the most. Um, but, yeah, attitude versus aptitude, I'll just – won't lead anything in. What's your opinion? Yeah. Um, oh, a bit of both. Um, I always find the recruitment process is a bit like a game of poker. Um, you slowly reveal the cards on the table. Yeah. And as those cards are revealed, the good gut feel, that good feeling in your in your stomach comes out when they match your cards, mm. essentially. Um, and that's, that's, that's what that attitude is all about, I think. Um, you know, you... You're, you're, you're feeling like this person is on the same wavelength as me. Um, we're really getting along. They're clearly wanting to invest in this company, rah, rah, rah. There's, there's a million different yeah. factors, obviously. Um, in terms of actual ability, um, it's obviously important. Um, you probably want to, if, if you've got a big team of 20 people and it's a, it's a big management role, they can have the best attitude in the world. If they've got no man management experience at all, you probably don't want to put yeah, them on for this role. Exactly. Um, but, you know, take, um, for example, someone wants to switch industries within the dealership industry. For, take the, yeah. Like, let's use it as an example from a car dealership to uh, a truck dealership, a service advisor at a car dealership, and you just get that feeling of, okay, they don't know much about trucks, yeah. but they really want to give this a go and they really want to make this work. Yeah. And you've placed someone recently that, yeah, kind of fits this bill perfectly. I remember you getting off the phone to him, and it was just yeah, you know, oh yeah, he will get the job. Yeah, yeah. I said it guy. straight away. I he was the one guy I interviewed, and I said he's he okay. Let's put it this way: he should get the job. Yeah, he's the one that should get the job, and had no truck experience, no truck whatsoever. experience yeah. at all. Um, but worked out really well. Yeah, so, um, I've had that a few times where they've just they've had somewhat related experience, but it didn't really fit the bill of what the client was looking for. Yeah, and I just said, look you need to talk to this person because once you talk to them, you'll understand You'll understand. Yeah. on paper, they're okay. But once you actually see them mm-hmm. as a whole, um, you'll realize they're, they're, they're that person that you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. And I suppose it comes back to, you have to have your list of non-negotiables. Yeah. That's a given, you know, if for whatever reason they must have this particular brand experience or, you know, engine reconditioning experience or whatever it is, there are some non-negotiables. Yeah. So you need to get that list first, but, the key is to keep that list as small as possible. It is very easy for that list to get out bigger and bigger. And then suddenly you're looking for the golden goose that doesn't exist. Yeah. So keep the list to an absolute minimum because when you think about it, when we look back at what we said earlier about bad employees being like a cancer, Mm. you might see a guy 10 years experience with your brand, done everything, ticks all the boxes. You think, great, this is the golden goose we've been looking for. They tick all the boxes. And you've got this huge list of non-negotiables that he's ticked everything. You interview them, 
and you walk out of the interview and you go, I think he's got a bit of an attitude issue. Yeah. I don't think they're the right fit. But you've become so invested in your list of non-negotiables yeah. that you go against your better judgment and you say, well, we're never going to find it. We've, we've tried for 12 months. He ticks all the boxes. We just have to put this guy on. He ticks all the boxes. Yeah. They start, sure as hell, bad out. attitude, doesn't yeah. work out. You know, annoys half the staff members there. Yeah. People start quitting. And that one person has suddenly left a huge detrimental effect on your yeah. business because you were so obsessed with that list of yeah. non-negotiables. So you have to keep that to a minimum and then really focus on attitude. Attitude yeah. is everything. An employee with, you know, zero to limited experience with the right attitude can be trained up in three to six months and stick around for five, ten years. Yeah. Versus the guy with all the attitude and the uh, all the experience in the world. Yeah. And even and if they only even if they only stick around for a year or two years, they're going to give you a lot more. Generally speaking, exactly. in that year or two, um, you're just going to get more out of them. They're yeah. just going to be more motivated. Plus, they're going to be quite thankful that you've given them the opportunity. Yeah, and they'll they'll partake more in meetings. And, yeah, you know, they'll be invested. Is they'll be invested. The word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they'll 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 they're more likely to go that extra mile usually. Yeah, um, for sure. And and that leads us really nicely into our next point, and one that I know doing the research on. Um, yeah, was was quite a surprise, but not really at the same time. It's it's what does a loyal employee, quote unquote, look like on paper? Yeah. Um, you know, we see it all the time. You submit candidates, they've moved around over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and then the feedback from a client is, oh, they've jumped around too much. Yeah. Um, which is a, a completely reasonable excuse. And there's definitely people that do jump around too much. There's yeah. there's no doubt about that. But it's really important that you understand what the average employee tenure is in 2020 yeah. <laughs> versus what it was in 1980. Yeah. There was a time where it was really positive and it was, a you know, unless you did this, you were seen as a bad employer, a non-loyal employee. You know, you joined a company, you stuck around for seven to 10 years and maybe 15 years and you never left and you were comfortable. Yeah. It's getting to the point now where people are seeing that as a negative. You know, they're too comfortable. There's yep. no drive, no ambition. That's right. Um, you know, there's obviously, this is just generalizing. There's so many exceptions to the rule. But people nowadays, with everything that's changed in society, they want challenges. They want changes. They want to improve and yep. continually move forward. Yeah. So the average employee tenure has just completely changed compared to what people would think ordinarily. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so I've got some statistics in front of me here, and this is actually from – um, the Federal Department of Employment, um, which was a 2019 survey. So it's as irrelevant as we as relevant as we can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but if yep. you look at the age groups here, under 25, the average job tenure is one year and eight months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> being relatively young, I'm I'm 27 now. Just had to think about that for a little bit. But um, so most of my friends are in that age bracket or slightly above, and I can attest to that that most of them do stick around for that long. Yeah, most people do about a year and a half to two years. Yeah. Um, which I think honestly just comes down to people wanting to experience things. Exactly. You know, Keep getting as much training into them as possible. Yeah. Like I'm trying to That's set right. myself up for the future here. Yeah, plus you, you, you can when you're in your, you know, your mid to late 20s. You yeah. probably don't have a family yet. Exactly. You might do, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. You, know? you don't have commitments or anything like that. If you – Take a job that doesn't quite work out within the first couple of months. That's right. Yeah, you can find something else. You don't. You probably don't have kids to feed or anything like that. (laughs) So, um, you know, a lot of that comes down to let's just you know, I just want to work in as many places as possible and gather as much experience experience as I can. 
And if I'm not getting it from here, I need to get it from somewhere yeah, because I'm running right. out of time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the attitude. And I think that's where that comes from a lot of the time. 100%. And then so you, you probably, as you expect, you go to the age bracket of 25 to 35 and you're looking at two years and eight months as yep. the average tenure. Yep. 35 to 44, you're looking at four years. 45 plus, you're looking at six years and eight months. So I think that's a really good representation of uh, a, a previous, I suppose, uh, generation of employees and, yep. you know, their mentalities. And that was to stick around and be loyal. And yep. um, so they obviously far higher, almost seven years. But the average across all the age groups, across all employees in Australia in 2019 survey was three years and four months, yep. which I'm sure for most people listening would be far lower than what they would ordinarily expect a loyal employee to look for ads. That's right. Um, or look like. We, we've had so many instances where candidates have had three jobs in 10 years. So you're looking, you know, two stints of three years, one of four years. Yeah. And clients have gone nuts. They jump around they jump way around. too much. And we understand because we see resumes all day, every day. We're looking at 20 to 40 yeah. resumes a day. So we understand just subconsciously what an average resume looks like. Yeah. Um, whereas people that haven't recruited you know, in high volumes over the last 10 years, they haven't really seen these changes. So yeah. it's important to understand that three jobs in 10 years is nothing exactly the average, if not slightly greater. Yeah. So it's probably 3.4 when you look at it. That's right. Yeah. And I think we need to sort of revisit what loyalty looks like yeah. today in the workplace. Um, as you said, I think, you know, a couple of decades ago, you, you, you got a job and that's where you were for the next 10 to 15 years and you did your time with them and then you maybe moved on if there was some perfect opportunity that come around. Yeah. Um, today that's not the case anymore. We've got way more jobs than we've got people. Yeah. Um, everyone's always looking for a new challenge. People are very keen on improving themselves all the time. Yeah. Um, we've become very keen to, very wary of staying stagnant. We want to keep moving and keep learning. Yeah. Um, so I think to me personally, I think uh, a loyal employee isn't someone who sticks around for 10 years, but someone who speaks up. Um, exactly right. I think loyalty in itself, uh, just staying somewhere for 10 years to me doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you could sit there on your hands for 10 years yeah. and, and just do, do the bare minimum to yeah. get through because you're comfortable. Yeah, that's right. Versus, you know, someone that sticks around for three years, but yeah. for that three-year period, they are heavily invested yeah. coming to every meeting with full of ideas, telling yep. you everything, growing your business, improving it. That is so much more valuable oh. to uh, to an organisation. I'll someone. take someone who does yeah. that for three years over someone who does the bare minimum for 10 years any day. And then I have to replace them after three years. Okay, fine, whatever. Yep. Um, but I know for the, uh, uh, in those three years, I've gotten a heap out of them. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose the, the point we're trying to drive home is to just change the mentality around average tenure and, and really think beyond just, you know, they've had three jobs in 10 years, they're only going to be here for three and a half years, mm. um, you know, have a real hard think about, well, what are we going to get out of them for those three and a half years? Yeah. Is it going to be worthy to us? And, of course, it doesn't mean they're going to definitely leave after three and a half years. No, that's right. You know, you could provide something that, that uh, and, and that, I suppose, goes into the retention debate or discussion yeah. about, you know, how do you actually keep people engaged and happy? But yeah. I think, yeah, if you like a person and they're invested and they have the right attitude and the right fit, well, then it falls onto you about how we're going to retain this person beyond yeah. that three to four year tenure that yeah. we're now seeing as the average. Yeah. And I always think try and move away from the school thought of how many years are we going to get out of them yeah. but rather than, you know, how much positivity for the company are we going to get out of them? Yeah. Um, how much can they move the business forward with us yeah. uh, instead of, all right, I just want them to be here and show up for the next five years. 
that's not uh, that doesn't mean anything if someone just shows up. No. So um, try and try and rethink value. You know, is is it you know really just you just don't want to recruit for the next five years and that's it, or do you really want someone who's going to give you everything for a couple of years? Exactly right, and and that probably ties us into another point. We were going to talk about it later, but I think it, it segues perfectly into uh, the age discrimination yes. uh, discussion. We see it all the time, unfortunately, where you submit a candidate and you get the the return back from the client that says, "Oh, they're just too old for the role." We we think we only get five years out of them. Um, well, now that we've seen, you know, if someone is say sixty and you think they're going to retire at sixty five, and mm. it's not a physical job and they can do ever do it well. Yeah. Well, if you do get five years out of them from 60 to 65, which is highly likely, as we've seen by the statistics that their average tenure is far higher. Yeah. They're far less likely to want to move on because yeah. they're, they're probably going to be 63, 64 by that time. Yeah. They're going to be worried. Am I going to find a job? Yeah. So if they can give you five years from 60 to 65, well, that's a lot better than the average yeah. of a 30 to 40 year old that we've now seen through the statistics. So that mentality of, oh, they're only going to give us five years. Well, really understand the tenure average and yeah. then think, well, five years is really good. Yeah. I want five years from them. And yeah. it's almost a guaranteed five years yeah. if, if we're happy with them. Correct. Um, yeah. So I've just looked through here, did a bit of research before today about um, the age pension mm. um, or the pension age, I should say, and, and how that has increased over the last few decades and how it's only going to increase more and more mm. and, and understanding um, you know, how old people are going to have to be in the workforce. People, you know, we see it all the time. You know, we don't want people over 60. We're not going to get much out of them. Yeah. There's going to come a time where there is a huge portion of the workforce or people that need to work mm -hmm. that are going to be over the age of 60 because yeah. the pay, age pension age has gotten so high. Yeah. Um, so you look through here, if your birth date was between 1954 and 1955, the age pension age is 66 years. Um, and then- it's gone up to 66 years and six months. Now, if you're born after 1957, it's up to 67 years. And there's all sorts sorts of predictions and statistics out there that predict it's going to be you know, above 70, not to, uh, you know, if you're born in the 80s or 90s, it's going yeah. to be above the 70 age. So, yeah. um, and it's only going to get older and older as life expectancies yeah. increase, et cetera. So yeah. um, this mentality of, oh, well, you know, people are, are well past their prime at the age of 50 or 55, well, as a society, we're going to have to change that massively because yeah. we're going to have a ginormous burden yeah. on our welfare system if we don't. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, people born in the 90s and the early 2000s, which I know are still young, obviously, at yeah. this point, um, but they have a very, very high chance of hitting 100. Yeah. Um, there's a much, you know, at the moment still, if, if someone hits 100, it's like, wow, you know, they're, 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 they've really lived a long time. Um, but, you know, once those people born in the 90s and the, and, the two, and the early 2000s get to that age, there's going to be a much bigger proportion who will reach triple figures in their, yep. in their age years. Um, and so as a just direct result, you're going to have to work longer. Yeah. You're going to be alive longer. So um, I think that's one of the biggest issues going forward for the Australian employment market, realising that just because, you know, this candidate's 65 doesn't mean they can't work for you. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get anything out of them. Uh, and and I've, I've talked to heaps of candidates who are above 60 and I think the a lot the general consensus is that oh yeah they just want to you know get into another job that'll see them through to retirement and 
you know, I'm not going to get much out of them. They never like that. I've never gotten no. that. They've always been super keen. Yeah. Um, probably even more so because they're probably thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, this is my age and I'm still keen. Yeah. I've you got know? all this uh, knowledge that I yeah. want to impart onto people. I want to help a dealership increase, uh, increase revenue through all my knowledge and experience that I've had. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an untapped portion of the market that if you can tap into, you will find better candidates because yep. a lot of your competitors will not be doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the take home message there once again is if you've ever caught yourself saying we're only going to get five to seven years out of them. Yeah. That is a great result. That is great. <laughs> five to seven years is above the average really of three good. years and four months by yep. a long way. And it is considerably higher than the average for a 25 to 35 year old of two years and eight months. Yeah. So ever catch yourself stop and think about that <laughs> and then uh, finally i suppose the big one that I'm, I'm sure you've got a lot of opinions on if you haven't listened to our first episode where we introduced ourselves uh, phil actually has well I'll, I'll let him describe his uh his university tertiary background um but yeah he, he has a heavy interest in uh psychometric assessments and uh the psychology of uh, of both people but also in an employment capacity but phil why don't you uh take over with this one and explain uh, a little bit about your history and, and why uh, yeah, you're so invested in this. Yeah, so look, um, I did a psychology degree at the University of Queensland. Um, I did a full honours degree, so I did a full um, a thesis essentially um, throughout my four-year degree. Um, psychometric assessment came up quite a lot throughout the degree. Um, we actually, in one course, we came up with our very own psychometric assessment. Um, the entire course basically pulled together. Um, there's a lot that goes into these um, psychometric assessments to make these tools. Mm. Um, it's a very statistics heavy. Um, there's a it, it takes a lot of hours. Let's put it this way. Um, it's not difficult in the sense of you need to be a genius to do it, no. um, but it's very time intensive. Yeah, and you need to put you need to put the hours in really. Um, so, um, look with psychometric assessments. I think uh, general society often looks at them as wow. You know, they just f- figure out what you're thinking. And then that's just, you know, that's, that's the result, yep. you know, uh, we should take this for granted and that's, you know, it's always true. Yeah. That's not really the case. Psychometric assessments measure whatever they're made to measure. Um, you know, it's just a guy or a girl on the other end who's come up with this question yep. and through various statistical means has figured out that this question is a better way of asking what they're trying to achieve than another question. Yeah. Um, that's all it really is. It's not, there's no magic behind it. It's statistics. That's what it is. Okay. So <laughs> you're not reading people's minds. You're not, no. And no one, no one has some sort of blueprint vision where they can, uh, x-ray vision, sorry, where they can see through you. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's why we wanted to talk about this in the context of finding the right candidate. We hear all the time from clients that, you know, we're going to put them through our psychometric assessment and then we'll make our decision. Correct. And they <laughs> use the psychometric assessment as a screening tool. Yeah. And the, I suppose the other side of that is, you know, we've heard in multiple occasions where companies that have had psychometric assessments and they've employed people and they haven't worked out, they go, oh, well, psychometric assessments don't work at all. Yeah. We employ that person and, uh, you know, they were horrible. Yeah. Um, so I suppose what is your opinion of them as a screening tool or, you know, where they fit in the recruitment process? Yeah. So quite poor. Yeah, <laughs> as a screening tool, um, you don't want to use it as a screening tool. So um, I did an entire course in organizational psychology just around how to make the perfect recruitment process. Yeah, and um, we had um, people there who'd been organizational psychologists for 30, 40 years, and um, basically the the message was 
Psychometric assessment is your last tool that you want to use. It's where you've got two candidates and you can't pull them apart. You don't know out of, you've got A and B and you're just torn. No yeah. one knows who to go for. That's when you employ a psychometric assessment and you have to make sure that that piece of psychometric assessment is valid to the job they're going to be doing. Yes. Um, don't just give them some generalist willy-nilly thing and, oh, look, they've done really well on numeracy or something, but they don't have to do any maths in their job. And like that's, you know, yeah. don't choose that person over the other person just because they've done well on the numeracy. It has to be tailored. Yeah, it has to be tailored to that specific um, to that specific role and that specific person. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, just use them as a supporting tool. You don't want to make your base your decision off that, um, mainly because, A, it's obviously not very good. I don't think it's very accurate. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get good results. The other thing is you can potentially open yourself up to a whole lot of legal troubles if you yeah. do. Um, a great example of this is, and I don't remember the company name, um, I believe it was an IT company in the US. Um, they were going through a rough time. They had to go through mass redundancies, essentially. Yeah. And so the, um, I think it was the board or the managers, the, the higher-up managers all said, all right, look, what we'll do is we'll get some psychometric test, uh, assessment done yep. and we'll get the entire company to do a psychometric test. And this is the profile we're looking for, yep. right? This is the sort of person we're looking for. And who the bottom 40% that don't fit that profile are going to get the sack. Yep. They got, all got fired yep. as a result of one psychometric test. And um, they all sued the company and famously won. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, 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 that, that's something you really need to keep in mind. Yeah. Don't base your decision off psychometric assessment. No. And I have definitely haven't studied at the level you have, but I, I have done a couple of courses in the past uh, through a previous role that have uh, talked about psychometric assessments and, and focused on them. And one thing they really harped on about, and I'm good to get your opinion on this, is um, – Rather than use them as a screening tool to make your decision process of whether you're going to hire someone or not, they can be really valuable on learning how to manage that person mm -hmm. um, because it shows particular personality traits. Yeah. Um, so someone that doesn't perform what you, I suppose, envision as ideal on that test, it might just mean that, well, compared to what you thought you wanted, yeah, they don't fit that bill, but they can be managed you know, a little bit more hands-on or a little bit more hands-off and get a better result based yep. on their assessment results. Yeah, that's right. And so that's where they really, really shine because you're able to get insight beyond what you've already found out about them, beyond their skills and beyond your chats with them and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, Are they um, a self-starter? Yeah. Are they, um, yeah. You know, do they need day-to-day -day management? That's right. That's right. And how do they work best? Some people work best by just going in, sitting down with their manager and saying, this is what I'm going to do today. Yep. And then coming back at the end of the day and saying, saying this is what I've done. Yep. Then there's others who just don't need that. They don't want that. They're better off just doing everything by themselves, check in once a week, Yeah. Um, whatever it is, you know. So um, then there's others who will perform really, really well if they feel like they're being watched because they feel like, you know, I'm on a stage here, I need to perform. So yep. these are the things you can find out from psychometric tests. Yep. Um, but again, they're not things you should base your decision off um, at all, really. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, last, last part of the puzzle. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right, yeah. Um, one tool of psychometric assessment that I think a lot of people probably don't look at necessarily as being psychometric test. I think a lot of people see it as, you know, you do a questionnaire and then that's pretty yeah. much it, um, is assessment centres. Yeah. Um, so I know you've created one of those before. Yeah. Um, they're the best thing you can do. Um, essentially, it's um, rather than a... Uh, Rather than just your traditional interview, 
Um, assessment centers is when you essentially get a few candidates to come in and you give them tasks to do that would that they would be doing essentially yeah. in their day to day in this job. Yep. So it gives you a good idea of how would they actually perform. You yep. know, um, say you were doing it for someone who's 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 going to be a recruiter. Um, that's not too hard to do. You know, you give them a phone and say, call this number and sort of interview this person yep. and um, evaluate them on how they interview that person. Yeah. Um, that's where psychometric assessment really shines because assessment centers are by far the most effective tool. You'll yeah. get a good idea of their personality. You can, you know, often it's a day, it's quite time in- intensive. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the main, the main negative really. And um, you're going to have to spend most of the day really doing these. Yep. Um, but generally speaking, you'll get really, really good results. Yeah. And, and I suppose a really good working example, I just thought of then, um, based on what we did a couple of years ago, um, for recruitment, but you could spin that in, in parts interpreting or service advising could be a good example is you have these people, you can't split them. There might be three of them. Um, let's say parts interpreters, um, you try and figure out how are we going to split these guys? Yep. Well, set them up in three different scenarios, um, a, a traditionally easy uh, client to deal with, a really aggressive, difficult client to deal with, and then maybe a, a difficult client in the sense that they just don't understand what they're trying to tell you and then they've got to pull that information yeah. out of them as a parts interpreter um, and, and have you know people within your business playing these characters on the other end of the phone yeah. and you can assess them firsthand. Well, you know, hopefully everyone does well with the easy client. That's just about showing face and being uh, being polite and yeah, nice and following nice, procedures, yeah. <laughs> but how are they going to actually act um, yeah. under pressure with a difficult client and, and see how they react without training everything else because that's their gut instinct. That's how they're going to perform later down the track. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a really effective tool. And I know we used it at a, an old company and um, it worked really well. Yeah. We um, People, yeah, it was quite evident really quickly who was going to survive and who was going to struggle. Yeah, yeah um, that's because right. Because you saw them. Yeah. In, the, in the deep end. Yeah. And don't just, don't just sit there and go, all right, say you've got a difficult client on the phone. This is what they say. What do you do? Give them the phone and make one of your employees play the difficult client, yep. which is quite fun. <laughs> they all love it. Trust me. They all love it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Breaks up the monotony of the day. Yeah, that's right. And um, a lot of the people who do do those interviews, who go through those assessment centers, generally find them quite valuable. Yeah. Um, uh, I've been, to one and um, I remember everyone who walked out was like, even if I don't get the job, that was a cool experience. That was quite nice to just get get to and, and, and get to do and um, just, yeah, experience that. Leaves a good taste in their mouth as yeah. well and yeah. they're likely to um, to reapply for a job in the future with you if yeah. you've had a good experience. Yeah, and how, you know, even if you don't get the job, how valuable do you feel just walking away thinking, all right, they've spent eight hours with me. Yeah. So obviously, you know, they, they do care. It's just going to be about competition. Yeah, exactly. So, right. so yeah, you, you obviously can't do that with every role, but if you've got a high volume of people that you're trying to narrow it down to, um, and it's an important role, then invite them in and do a you know group situation and, and yeah. really try and figure that out. It's far more effective than just giving them a psychometric assessment and you know looking at that and going, well, they don't fit what we would like, so they're out. Yeah, that's the, the take home there. But gone a bit longer than we ordinarily would um, but as we said there was going to always be a lot of uh, a lot of room for discussion in there there's probably plenty that we've missed um, but yeah if you are listening and you do have any thoughts on those topics please shoot them through there'll be links uh, in the uh, the show notes below but um, yeah good to uh, good to talk to you Phil and uh, we'll be back again in another week's time for uh, a new episode talk to you again soon bye Thank you for listening to another episode of Adding Fuel to the Hire. 
If you have any questions or you'd like to hear us talk about a particular topic, why not send us an email at podcast at addingfueltothehire.com. If you like what we do and would like to support our podcast, please leave a review on your podcasting app of choice. For further information, please visit our website, addingfueltothehire.com.